Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 788. Life's too short to not enjoy yourself. So if you're not if you're not doing something you don't love, maybe look at what you're doing. We have to enjoy what limited time we have on this earth. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Andy Beckman. Hey, Andy, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Let's light this candle. All right. Andy Beckman is the archivist at the Studebaker National Museum in South Bend, Indiana. He's been with the museum since 1999, where their state-of-the-art 55,000-square-foot facility has been open since 2005. The building has three levels and features galleries and storage facilities where they honor and perpetuate the legacy of the rich industrial heritage of the South Bend area and the Studebaker Mark. He also serves as president of the Society of Automotive Historians, Andy grew up in a family of Studebaker lovers and owners, and he drives a 1964 Studebaker Daytona hardtop. Can't wait to hear about that one. Andy previously worked at the Sheboygan County Historical Society and Wade House State Historic Site. He's also authored two books, The Studebaker National Museum, Over a Century on Wheels, and Studebaker's Last Dance, The Avanti. So, Andy, I have told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles and Studebakers? Well, it really starts at a very early age when uh, instead of going to Disney World or other uh, points of interest during the summer, we would go to Studebaker meets in our non-air-conditioned Studebakers and scenic locales like Des Moines, Iowa, South Bend, Indiana. You understand my friends are going to Orlando. Where are you going this summer, Andy? <laughs> car show. Yeah, car show. Why do, Why would you want to go to Disney World? <laughs> uh, but just grew up around Studebakers. My dad still has, at age 82, uh, four or five Studebakers in his collection. All my uncles had Studebakers. Uh, my brother has one now. My cousins have have Studebakers. It's just a family thing that really grew into a career for me. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Well, we're going to learn a lot more about you and Studebakers and the museum as we move through the questions here. But first, I always like to ask my guests for a success quote or a mantra. This is a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Andy, take the wheel. Well, there's several that pop to mind, but I'm a huge football fan of the Green Bay Packers, and Vince Lombardi was a, a veritable uh, font of quotes and quotable things. But one of his quotes that really strikes home to me is, pursue perfection to achieve excellence. And I'd like to say I do that diligently, and uh, I'd like to say that I, I am not always able to, but the times I don't, I often look back and go, you know, if you just tried a little bit harder, the results would have been better. So, you know, we learn we learn by doing it and we learn by not doing it. And I really feel that's, that's a good one to live by. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, Lombardi, I mean, just an icon of concepts and ideas and what working hard will do for you. That's the first time that quote's been used here on Cars, yeah, and I like that one. I like it a lot. And I also like the fact that your humbleness there is every once in a while you look back and go, oh, I cut it down a little better. Okay, I need to go back and, and work a little harder there. Great mantra to live by. Well, let's go back in time. You shared a little bit that you live in the Studebaker family. You've been surrounded by this since you were a little, little guy. 
Tell us about a story that instigated your personal passion for cars, because some people that grow up in car families end up not liking cars at all, but that's not the case with you. So what was that pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were a car guy? Probably one of my earliest memories. I mean, dad's cars were, you know, just cars we had around the family. You know, we referred to the 39 or the 41. You know, that was the shorthand for how we identified cars in our family. But dad's friend, uh, Phil Schlichting was his name. He had a 63 Avani, champagne gold, gold interior. And we were visiting them and going somewhere. And I remember asking if I could ride to Mr. Schlichting's Avani. And this was a car completely different than the pre-war cars my dad had. It made noises. The interior was like a spaceship and (laughs) it went fast. I remember that distinctly to this very day, sitting in the back seat. And in an Avani, the seat is kind of like stadium seating where the back seat is higher than the front seat. So instead of being stuck behind a cushion as a small child, I could actually see what was going on in the front seat. Mm. And, you know, I'd like to say that really sparked the passion for what cars and everything else, the whole automotive world. Well, the Avanti was so unique when it came. I mean, just so different. Every, you looked at you know that front end and like, where's the grill? You know, <laughs> it was just such a cool car. The local museum where I live here in the Pacific Northwest, LeMay, America's Car Museum, they have what I believe is the very first, the prototype Avanti that was built. And I believe it's under restoration right now. You may know more about that than I do. Yeah, actually, uh, Renee Christ is a good friend of oh, uh, okay. ours here at the museum and uh she actually came down and did a program for us last year on the uh, cars of Downton Abbey. But, yeah, they have serial number 1001, and I uh, can't wait to see that car when it's finished. Yeah, it was kind of a wild color. If I remember, it was kind of a purple metallic or something like that. Or uh, Yeah, Renee's been a – she's a fellow alumni of yours, guest here on Cars, yeah. So I've known Renee for 23 years ever since I moved up here. So she has a lot of fun dealing with all those cars. Small world. Indeed. Yeah. A great – Great person, too. Can't say enough good things about her. Oh, I know. She's awesome. Well, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the many roads you've driven down in your career and talk about a huge challenge or a big failure. And I want to ask you to kind of take us down that path. Tell us about that situation, what you had to deal with. But more importantly, how did that experience help you gain even more momentum in your career, your business, or your life? Well, the biggest, I got to say, the biggest professional challenge I face is when within the span of I'd say two, two and a half years, we constructed our museum building, had to move our our new museum building, had to move the entire collection. At the same time, we also began rehabbing our archives building, which I'm actually uh, sitting and talking to you right now. And then we had to move the entire archives collection out of its facility into our new facility. And I should back that up a minute. Not just moving the archives directly to our new facility. It wasn't done yet, but we had sold the old building. So we had to move the archives out to a holding place basically finish up everything else with the new museum and then move the archives into the new archives facility. And that that three, two to three year stretch was just seemed like we were moving every day. It breezed by. You didn't really know what you didn't know about moving a bit, moving <laughs> that type of thing. Yes. Oh, so, gosh, you know, yeah. how hard is it to move 120 vehicles? Well, <laughs> you know, it's it's not terribly hard. you pick them up, you move them, right? Well, no, you have to, there's only so many tow trucks, you know, you want to do it safely, what if weather comes up, and then the archives looking for so many thousands of square feet that Mm. uh, hopefully through the kindness of uh, strangers, you can get for not a lot of money because, you know, any museum uh, is always, you know, nonprofit, it's not just a tax status. Uh, Oftentimes it reflects uh, that you have limited resources. So uh, we had a very generous donor uh, help us out with some climate controlled storage for the archives. Uh, Some of the stuff was still in the original cabinets that came when Studebaker gave that collection to the city of South Bend back in the 70s. So it's like, well, do we move all this crappy old 
you know, stuff housing this? Do, do we take time to rehouse it and make it better while we're doing it? And, you know, if no time like the present, if you're, it's never going to be easier to do it now, even if it is the extra effort. But that, that was really a, a massive project that I look back and I'm very proud of. Uh, no kidding. Yeah, I've been involved in moving businesses to different states and picking up and moving. And you, we spoke of Renee Christ with LeMay. I remember when they went through that, when they built their new facility here. In fact, where my offices were at the time, across the street were some warehouses. I remember one day seeing all these old cars coming in, just one after the other. And I'm like, what's going on over there? And ran over there. And sure enough, it was Renee going, well, we've got to store all our cars here for a couple months until the building's done. Well, what would be a takeaway for a listener out there who might be facing that, whether it's a move of a house or a business or a full museum, what's a takeaway you can offer as a suggestion on how do you tackle something so big? Well, thankfully, we had a very capable staff of you know, museum professionals and volunteer staff who helped us do this. And uh, our actually previous curator of ours, uh, Cindy Olson, uh, had moved her mu- a house museum. So she had some ideas, you know, moving larger artifacts, what you know, the contractor, the requirements, the equipment, the best way to do that. Mm-hmm. And working together with you know our, our team of curators, we were able to get a plan, execute it. The takeaway from that was really see the big picture. And if something does cross up, you got to you got to roll with the punches. You got to be flexible. Yeah. You got to prepare for, oh, we were going to drive some cars over to the other building or to the new building. It's raining. What else are we going to do? What's the backup plan? Something unexpected props up. Another uh, a favorite saying of mine, you know, work the problem. We there's no time to wring our hands now. We can drown our sorrows in a mug of beer afterwards. But, <laughs> you know, let's deal with the reality of the situation at hand and try and get that taken care of to make some kind of lemonade out of the lemons we're being given. Yeah, the age-old saying that I've said so many times, and I think I learned it from my mom or dad, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's all you can do. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment, and tell us what your aha moment was all about and how that helped you lead to some more success. Well, probably... I don't know if I can point to a single, you know, suddenly the light went on, but uh, it's something maybe I kind of knew in the background and it really helped me approach my job better. And that is no matter what business you're in, you're really in the people business. Customer service is if if you deal with one person a day, you're in the customer service business. You need to excel at that because if you're selling them, you know, if you're a butcher, if you're the shoemaker, if you're at a museum, those people are your lifeblood, and you really need to make them feel special and make them want to come back to your to your business, what you're doing. You are you are selling a product, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You're reliant on the people. You're in the people business, and just create a memorable experience uh, for your customers in the museum business. They will likely speak kindly of you to others, and in the day of social media, that just uh, that keeps snowballing down the hill. Oh, no kidding. No kidding. You know, I shared that concept uh, years ago at a company I was working with where we had some conflicts going on between departments, operations, marketing, manufacturing, and, you know, there's always those internal conflicts that kind of pop up. And I remember telling them, what if that department was your customer and your paycheck was relying on how they thought about you. How would you treat them differently? And it helped the whole company change a little bit in their mindset to treat internal departments as a customer. You said it well at the beginning. If you talk with a person during the day, they are your customer, no matter what level they're on. They could be a vendor, a coworker, or a real customer who's buying stuff from you or coming to your museum. So I like that concept that you shared with us, Andy. It's, it works in uh, relationships as well. 
you don't just not want to be that. You really need to make people feel like they're they're special and they are taking their time and money to come and visit you. Yeah, exactly. And let's make let's make it worth their while and give them something memorable. In the tourism world, which we're in, we're a tourist destination. Uh, any museum is many times that may be the people's only exposure to your city, your community, your state. Mm. You know, what are they going to come away from? If you eat at a bad McDonald's in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, you're going to remember Cedar Rapids has a bad McDonald's, not necessarily that McDonald's has a bad restaurant. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. I understand. The old golden rule, treat others the way you want to be treated. It's pretty simple. Exactly. Pretty darn simple. If only the whole world thought like that, it would be in a much nicer place for sure. How about a proudest career moment? I would assume you've had many. You've dealt with this industry and working with people for so long. You've made so many people happy. I'm sure the people that come to visit your museums and have read your books. But what is your proudest career moment? Well, you just hit upon it right there. I would say the two books. I write a monthly column for the Studebaker Club magazine, Turning Wheels, but I'd never attempted anything like a book before. You kind of think, well, you know, much like moving a museum, you know, this is a large project, but obviously there's a lot of books out there that have been written by people. Someone had to write their first book. Let's let's see if we can get through that. And it was a tremendous learning experience, a challenge. Uh, what's that story goes? The two, uh, the two uh, kids in Ireland who would go from field to field and there was a high wall they didn't know if they could get across. So mm-hmm. one takes the other guy's cap and throws it over the wall. So now they have to go over it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> and really writing writing the books was really kind of similar. It's like, I think I can do this. Well, you're committed. So you're writing a book. Might as well make it a good one, uh, hopefully. Yeah. yeah, very cool. And then you did it again with the second book. The Ivani book was a little different approach I guess from the standpoint of any Studebaker product, more has been written about the Avani than any other Studebaker ever built. And like, well, I didn't want to just regurgitate the facts, and I, I'd like to think that I maybe created a fresh-ish approach to, you know, the most reviewed part of Studebaker history. But uh, I was very happy with how it turned out, and. Very happy to have the support of those who, who helped me put on both of those books. Well, congratulations for that. Books are daunting, daunting projects for sure. Well, let's go back in time again and have a little more fun and talk about your first really special car. Maybe it's that first Avanti. Maybe it's the first Studebaker. But the first car that you got that you were really excited about and share a memory you have with that vehicle. This may surprise you, but uh, I'm going to go back to my 1984 Volkswagen Rabbit GTI. <laughs> you know, I, I kid you not. I was thinking, is he going to say Volkswagen? I, I don't know why that came to mind, but I, I figured you when you said uh, you were going to surprise me. So, yeah, you did surprise me. <laughs> nice car. <laughs> well, we I, I was born in 1972, so by the time I was learning about automobiles, let's face it, the American auto landscape, in the early 1980s was not, say, as rich as it may have been 20, 30 years prior to that. But I remember seeing the commercial, the J- GTI commercial, where they're doing uh, takeoff on uh, Ronnie, was it Ronnie in the Daytona's little GTO, but it's little GTI, and they're singing all in German. And the I remember GTIs that, are, yeah. GTIs are flying around the track. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And then I go off to college, and our friend of ours was selling – an 84 GTI black with blue interior with air conditioning, no less. Wow. And I remember my dad saying, oh, do you think we should get that? And at that time, I think we had the family mobiles were the Volvo station wagon and the, I think we had a early, an earlier rabbit. And I came home from the college break and there's a GTI sitting in the driveway. And I'm like, cool. holy cast, did we get that? And that's <laughs> like, well, yeah, it seemed like a nice car. And I thought it'd be a nice upgrade from the other car. 
oh, that was a fun car to drive. Yeah. That was just a blast. But uh, drove that all through college. Just a tremendous car. They were fun. The first car my wife and I got when we were first married, 1984, was a Jetta GLI, which, of course, was kind of the four-door version of the GTI. Yeah. And I, at the time, had an 89 Scirocco, first-gen Scirocco. So, uh, yeah, we were a VW family. But I, all that time, I was thinking, man, do I want to trade my Scirocco for a GTI? Those are just so cool. And they just kept getting better and better. And of course, the later ones, when they came up with the R's, uh, yeah. you know, were just really cool. So, yeah, fun little hatchbacks, most definitely. Well, how about a car that you let go? Is there a seller's remorse story in your world? Not really. I mean, I hated to see the GTI go, but uh, if anything, if you quantify it by the number of times I go on eBay and look for Volkswagen Rabbit GTI, mm-hmm. I would say that would have to be the one. Uh, that was actually followed up with an 89 Honda Civic Si, which was another tremendously fun car to drive. But uh, unfortunately, they just in the course of uh, kind of got used up and yeah. They were ready to go down the road there, but uh, boy, I look back at that GTI, there's just so many fond memories, and and still, to compare the car, I mean, in theme, the SI, that Civic SI and the GTI are kind of similar in theme, but the SI felt kind of, it didn't have the personality the GTI did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the GTI, I don't know if it's just because it was, it had more sensory inputs, because it's a little taller car, you got more body lean, mm-hmm. you didn't have to drive it that fast to drive it to really feel like you were going fast. The SI was more of a go-kart, and you... You know, it it felt that way, but boy, just the personality that GTI had. Yeah, fun cars for sure. Well, let's talk about today and the future. I'd love for you to share what has you really excited and fired up about the Studebaker National Museum. Maybe tell our listeners a little bit about what they'll experience when they come to visit you at the museum. Well, many people are surprised to learn that Studebaker actually was a horse-drawn vehicle manufacturer before getting into automobiles. And we get that comment so many times. They'll see all these horse-drawn wagons and buggies on our first floor, and they kind of, wait, what? Yeah, what are those doing here? (laughs) It's like, actually, Studebaker was the General Motors of the wagon-making era, and people are surprised to learn that, you know, Studebaker was a global transportation supplier in the 1880s, 1890s, world's largest builder, outlets all over the U.S. and across the globe. And, you know, they never achieved those heights in the horse-drawn era, but uh, just it's a fascinating story to tell. It's two men in a blacksmith shop who grow to become the world's largest builder of wagons and buggies. They transition to automobiles, the only horse-drawn era manufacturer to successfully do so. They survive, you know, countless wars, but supplying military equipment starting actually in 1857. At that time, the Studebaker Brothers Manufacturing Company uh, supplied an order of wagons to the to the United States Army uh, when they were engaged in the so-called Mormon War in Utah. Wow. So every yeah every conflict since then, Civil War, Spanish American, of course, World's War One and Two, up through Vietnam. In the early years of the Vietnam conflict, Studebaker built army trucks for going over overseas to Southeast Asia. Uh, they survived the Great Depression. They survived going essentially bankrupt. Studebaker entered receivership in 1933. At their best, Studebaker was 4% of the market, and you look at what they were able to produce for their engineering and styling dollar. I will bet a beer to any listeners who can point to any other manufacturer who got more per dollar than Studebaker did for the, for the products they built. Just a fascinating story and a fascinating, fascinating array of products that, that Studebaker put out. Yeah, no, it is. I believe there were five brothers originally that... Indeed, they are. I remember that, right? Yeah, it started that company, and you said 1852, correct? Eight, February 16th, 1852, Henry and Clem opened their shop. Henry and Clem, wow, wow. Well, I've got to think you've got lots of cars there, too, other than just uh, wagons, right? 
Yeah, it's uh, the automobile collection. They have uh, the Studebakers actually maintain a corporate vehicle collection. Uh, so they, in addition to Studebaker National Museum, is home to the world's largest presidential carriage collection. Folks can come and see the carriage Abraham Lincoln took to Ford's Theater the night he was he was assassinated. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah, many people are surprised to learn that. In fact, our uh, Carriage that belonged to the, that was used by the Marquis de Lafayette on his tour of the United States in 1824 is actually on its way to the uh, Museum of the American Revolution in Williamsburg, Virginia. Our curator is actually escorting that thing out there right now. But I realize we're on the Cars Yeah blog, not the, uh, you know, Carriages Yeah <laughs> podcast. So, uh, but the Studebakers, they have the very first automobile built entirely in South Bend. It's a 1920 Light 6, serial number one. It still shows 24 miles on the od- odometer. Oh, and, wow. Uh, the very last regular production car built in South Bend, a 1964 Daytona hardtop that it shows, I think, 20 or 30 miles on the odometer and, and many vehicles in between. You can see uh, styling prototypes. When Studebaker and Packard merged in the 1950s, part of the Packard collection came down to South Bend. We are proud to be owners of the uh, Packard Predictor show car that Packard built uh, for the 1956 auto show circuit. And, uh, you know, of course, the Studebakers, people remember, you know, the bullet nose model, the 1950 Commander Starlight Coupe, we're proud to say, uh, if we don't have a bullet nose on the floor, uh, we could take it off 10 minutes to simply move things around and people are asking, where... I I thought Studebaker made the bullet nose. Where is that? Yeah. No, no, it's right here. Trust me, it didn't go anywhere. It's the Avani's a record-setting uh, company, endurance cars from the 20s, late 1920s. We have a 27 Studebaker Commander that was driven by motoring legend Ab Jenkins from New York to San Francisco in August of 1927 in 77 hours and 40 minutes. Oh, my gosh. Think yeah. about, I mean, just think about the roads back then, how tough they were, much less the, how tough the car had to be. And you look at the car, and there's a story where he was driving somewhere, Nebraska, let's say, and there was a 90-degree bend in the road that wasn't marked. And he said he was going about 50 miles an hour and just flew off the road and landed in a farmer's field. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) And they're like, you can't go on. It's like they said the frame was bent and everything. Well, they were still able to drive the car. And if you look at the car today, apparently they put a new frame under it when they got it back to South Bend so they could use it for promotional things. But you can still see where they had to braze up the body under the hood because it cracked the body mounts. Wow. Wow. Well, I would encourage listeners out there, if you're going to be anywhere near South Bend, Indiana, you're about 100-some-odd miles north of Indianapolis, right? Yeah, uh, about 100 or so from there. Uh, folks are visiting Auburn, Corduzenburg, over in Auburn, Indiana. We're 100 miles from there, about 100 miles from Gilmore, and uh, just a stone's throw uh, down the road from Chicago. So uh, come and see us. Definitely, definitely is a place to go. And I'll make sure we have links to Andy's on Andy's show notes page here at carsyad.com and the website to the museum. Check out the museum's website. And if you're in that part of the world, they got to put this on your bucket list. Holy cow. Uh, incredible history that uh, a lot of things as I did my research, I had no idea that the Studebaker brothers did what they did and that the company was around for so long and contributed to so much. It's just absolutely fantastic. Well, Andy, if you were a car, what kind of car would Andy be in? why oh my goodness my i labored over this and <laughs> good <laughs> i feel some obligation as I'm, i may have mentioned i was born in 1972 so i feel obligated to gather something from that model year and i'm good i'm going to go back to uh, our family car which was a 1970 1972 volvo 145s station wagon okay and that volvo was could do a lot of different things and at a small museum you wear a lot of hats yeah i'm the guy who can back up the uh, 26-foot car hauler with the fifth wheel, usually on one try into our entry door. The Volvo was dependable. I'd like I'd like to think I'm dependable. You might want to get my boss on the line and have <laughs> rebut this. 
you know, you can't be an old car owner without being a little quirky. And I don't know if you're up on the Volvos, but the S models had the twin SU carburetors. Yeah. Which we, our family became very well versed in tuning and how they worked and everything Mm -hmm. like that. So I'll go with the Volvo 145S. All right. You put some thought to that and I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Very nice. Nothing wrong with being a Volvo. Rock solid, always there, ever charging. So the mighty Volvo. (laughs) So Andy. (laughs) Up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kids spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside, even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom pattern for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimball.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Andy, we are back, and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Sure. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Do it once, do it right. Don't take the shortcuts. You know, if you're doing a big project, that extra job is going to make a big project only a little bit bigger. As someone who has thought, you know, that clutch disc looks brand new just because the cover was screwed up with a cracked eye bolt. You don't need to replace that clutch disc. Yes, yes, you did need to replace the clutch disc. <laughs> Why the hell are you trying to save 35 bucks because you didn't want to put in a new one? Uh, so many times that advice is just like, and I've sat there, you know that? No, we're in here. We're going to go the extra mile. We're going to make sure everything 
is possibly can be ruled out is ruled out before we go forward. Most definitely. Now, how about a personal habit? Is there one that you have that you believe has contributed to your success? I, and I kind of maybe touched on this a little bit before with the uh, moving the museum and the archives, but I'm a big, big fan of see the big picture, mm-hmm. realize the context you're in, know what cards you got to play, you know, see how everything ripples out to affect everything, everything else. And that's, that's paid dividends many times over and uh, just see the big picture, know, know where you stand in things. Absolutely. How about a resource? There are tons of great resources out there. Hume Museum is a great example of that, but is there one you'd like to share? There's definitely, of course, I'd be remiss if I did not mention the uh, Studebaker National Museum's uh, online photo library at studebakerarchives.photoshelter.com. The fine folks at PhotoShelter uh, host our online photo library, and we're building that as we speak. Uh, another great resource, as President Society of Automotive Historians, uh, if you're a society member, you have access to every printed word that the society has put out since its founding in the late 1960s. Through the members section of the website, every newsletter, every article, everything is on there. And just a tremendous resource of automotive history. Just some names. uh, Michael Lamb comes to mind. He's very involved in the organization early on and just just a tremendous resource through the society's website. I'll make sure that we have links on Andy Shono's page to these references. And if you're not a member of that organization, You probably should be. So what a resource. Absolutely fantastic. Now, how about if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? Also thought long and hard on this. And, you know, what with being a Studebaker guy, I'd have to go with Raymond Lowy. Oh, yeah. And, well, for one big reason, from looking at uh, Mr. Lowy, you know the drinks would be fantastic. I mean, he's... (laughs) The Avani magazine uh, prints like recipes from his his cookbook. Apparently, he was a gourmet chef. Uh, chances are there'd be some appetizers with the drinks. I'm certain everything would be great. But also, Raymond Lowy is a pioneer in the field of industrial design. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to how Studebaker got the most out of their design and engineering dollar. And I just love to talk to him about how he negotiated a very conservative Studebaker board of directors on producing some of the most advanced designs in the industry. And also his other design work as a fan of the Apollo program and its successors, you know, his, uh, they had the uh, contract for doing some interior design on the Skylab project. Mm, Uh, I think it was Kennedy. The Kennedy's hired Lowy to design uh, the air force one that they used Mm. or the interior work on there. And just, I would love to pick his brain and, uh, you know, find out all the, all the aspects. What was the thought process? You know, you're not Harley Earl got a lot of press for the GM uh, art and color section that you know was really a pioneer in automotive design. You know, how did Lowy feel about that? You know, at times he was also taking cues from what GM was doing. He hired a lot of people away from GM, but really set his own mark while working for Studebaker. And I think that'd just be a fascinating conversation. Oh, I can only imagine. I have a design background. My son's an industrial designer. And uh, yeah, I think that would be a really nice drink and meal too. So (laughs) very nicely done. Now, aside from your two books, which I'll assume, but I'll check with you here, are they both available to buy? Yes, they are available through the Studebaker National Museum store at uh, studebakermuseum.org. Okay. And I always ask my guests for a book recommendation, so I'll make sure those two books go up on your show notes page. But is there a third book you'd like to recommend? There is. Uh, one of my favorite automotive writers uh, is uh, Peter Egan, who wrote for, I think, still writes for Road and Track for oh, many yeah. years. Yeah. But his uh, On the Road book, which is the stories of he and various friends doing their cross-country trips and everything from a bug-eye Sprite to a Model A to an Isetta to a you know, MGTC, if that doesn't whet your appetite for 
you know, automobiles, you may not be an automobile fan. <laughs> yeah. It's just, and I look at his writing in those stories. They're not just car stories. They're great stories with cars in them and people stories. And, you know, for people who are casual car fans and, you know, I'll say, oh, okay, I don't want to read about compression ratios or, you know, metering rods or something like that. It's a great book. It's about cars and I just, it's a great, great holiday gift, which I've given many times. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic book. It sits on my shelf along with his other book, Leanings, I believe is the title of that book. Fantastic. Well, listeners, you will find all these great resources on Andy's show notes page on the Cars yeah website. Just go to carsyeah.com and type in Andy Beckman. You'll find references to all these books. I made it really easy for you. You can just click to buy any of them off of the resources page here at Cars Yeah. All right, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question could be a bit of a, sorry to use another mark, a doozy. <laughs> if you could have only one very cool collector car in your garage, and I'll buy you anything you'd like today, Andy. doesn't matter. I've got the big checkbook out here at Cars Yeah. What would that car be and why? That, I also gave a lot of thought to that, and I would go with a 1964 Ferrari 330 America. Oh, uh, okay. You How know, big is that checkbook, Mark? Uh, it just got bigger. <laughs> yeah, just for you, Andy, it got really big. There's room for lots of zeros with the decimal point way over there to the right. But you're the second guy in two days. Uh, yesterday, I had a guest on the show who wanted a 288 GTO. So uh, today, we're going a little bit older, but uh, a lot more expensive. So uh, what is it about the 330 Americas, if I have to ask? Awesome car, by the way. But what is it about that car you love so much? Well, and the way you put it in the question there is if I can't sell it right, and someone else is buying it for the rest of my life, I want a car I would never grow tired of looking at. Mm. And that ticks the bill. You know, it has it has the it, you know, as they, you know, they'll say about an artist, you know, I don't know what it is, but they have it. And I'm not sure I know what it is, but that car has it. You can go out for dinner in it. Again, more practical room for your luggage. My wife loves going for uh, drives in her Studebaker. I showed her a picture of that car last night at dinner, and I said, so I think about this, and she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> now you have permission, but since I'm buying it for you, you don't have to, you don't have to get your checkbook out. So uh, that car does have – you know, it's a gentleman's touring car in my mind. It's It's got all the wonderful Ferrari sportiness, but it's it's got that gentlemanly elegance about it, I guess is the way I could describe it. Yeah, I see that car as being – the double take car. I mean, if you drive a Lamborghini Miura down the street, you're going to see neck snapping. That's going to go down the street. People will glance at it and then they'll go, wait, what? Yeah. And the Pininfarina design, and it's got that, if I remember right, it's got that series of kind of grills on the right, the fenders above yeah. the tires. So kind of, you just kind of go, hmm, what was that for? What's going on under there? What, what kind of power does that thing have? And, uh, oh yeah. And the sound of that motor. Oh. <laughs> you picked a good one. Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh, what color would you like? That that's a tough one. Uh it almost seems blasphemy to have a Ferrari in anything but but red, but uh Oh, that color my, looks pretty good in non-red colors. Well, yeah, that's it too. We were looking through the, you know, the different ones I showed online and I have yet to find a color I don't like. My wife's favorite color is dark green, so that may come into play as well. Okay, we'll make her happy. So we'll go find you dark green one. And that's probably even harder to find, <laughs> I think, because a lot of yeah, those are silver, blue, you know, red. 
Oh, we may have to we may have to compromise it a black or something like that. But, okay, uh, wow. I, I, we we don't dare call it British Racing Green if we're speaking of Ferraris. Well, of I realize not. that. No, no, you can't do that. Mister Enzo would not be happy about that, about that <laughs> one. So, all right, I'll get to work for you, Andy. Look for that uh, three thirty. Well, uh, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed getting to know you better and learning more about the Studebaker National Museum. I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom and guidance before you rip off into the sunset with your wife in that 64 Ferrari 330 America? Oh my goodness. It's, uh, there's so many things to, you know, kind of what we discussed, but, uh, life's too short to not enjoy yourself. So if you're not, if you're not doing something you don't love, maybe look at what you're doing. That's, we have, to, we have to enjoy what limited time we have on this earth. That is the mantra here at Cars Yeah. If you want to figure out a way to wrap your passion for cars into your careers, well, now I've got 788 guests for you to listen to who figured out the secret sauce to life. So uh, get out there and have some fun and do some stuff with cars. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the Studebaker National Museum? Sure. Folks can find the Studebaker National Museum at studebakermuseum.org. Uh, they can find us on Facebook, uh, Studebaker National Museum, and also on Twitter at Studebaker Muse, that's Studebaker M-U-S, and uh, many, many resources to have. Again, our uh, online photo library is studebakerarchives.photoshelter.com. And, uh, or folks, there's links there. You can email me directly if you have some more particular Studebaker things you'd like to talk about. There you go. And again, I'll remind all the listeners out there, just go to the Cars yeah website, type Andy in the search bar, his page will pop up, or Andy Beckman. I'll have links to everything Andy has shared today, making it very easy for you to find. If you're anywhere near South Bend, Indiana, you got to stop by and check out this museum and say hello to Andy. Andy, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again or until I see you at the museum, I'll see you down the road. Looking forward to it. Thank you. What's every automotive enthusiast dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garages built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!